The topic for this evening is No Condemnation. That is the title of my sermon, No Condemnation. We're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through to 4. Turn to Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If eternal security, in other words, once saved, always saved, is a Christian doctrine that you struggle with, as many Christians seem to do, then this is a very good chapter of the Bible to read. It is a chapter that starts with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see that in verse 1. And the chapter ends with no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 39. In chapter 6, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are shown to identify with him in death to sin and in being raised up to newness of life in Christ. So you've died with Christ And you are born again, raised up to new life, everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. In chapter 7, believers are shown to identify with Christ through death to the law, in order that they might be married to another, that is, to Jesus, married to Jesus. Chapter 8 introduces us to the divine power who is able to apply chapters 6 and 7 to us. God the Holy Spirit who is spoken of throughout the chapter. Look at verse 1 again. It is written, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 1 speaks to those who are in Christ Jesus. In what sense are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ said to be in him? I don't know if that is an expression that you use, that you are in Christ, and I wonder what people would think if they hear you saying, I'm in Christ, the They might be a bit confused about that as to what you actually mean to be in someone, in Jesus. Well, for one thing, believers in Jesus are in him in the same way that everyone in the world, everyone who is not a Christian, is in Adam. You're either in Christ or in Adam. As it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, for as it For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all, that is all who are trusting in Jesus, be made alive. You see it there, 
either in Adam or in Christ. You either identify with Adam, the federal head of all mankind in its fallen condition, or else you identify with Jesus. And if you do identify with Jesus and you are in Jesus, it is only by the grace of God that his beloved son is your federal head and not Adam. Also, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are in him vitally. In other words, if you're a born-again Christian, the resurrection life that you now live is bound up in your risen Saviour. You've been quickened by the Holy Spirit. You are made alive. Your your union with Christ is vital. It's, it's a living union with Jesus. Um, various... Metaphors are given to help us with this understanding, to understand this rather, in John chapter 15. Jesus, he declares himself to be the true vine and we are the branches. Living branches, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're a dead branch and you're good for one thing and that's to be thrown in the fire, used as firewood. But if you're a Christian, You are savingly united to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're united to him vitally and you are continually drawing on his grace. Just as a branch will continually draw on the sap of the main stem, so you um, draw on the grace of your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's a vital union. Another way of understanding it is the church is the body of Christ and each and every Christian is a member of that body and Jesus is the head of that body. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation where condemn means to judge someone as being definitely guilty and subject to punishment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has been punished in the place of all he came to save. As it is written in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 and 6, two very good verses to to learn. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? If you you you, you think about that, that God laid upon his son the iniquity of those that Jesus came to save and he bare the burden of their sin that collective burden of sin. Jesus has taken the curse of the law upon himself. In the Old Testament times, a sinner who had been put to death for whatever reason, adultery or whatever it was, that person who had been put to death was hung up on a tree as an accursed object. When the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up to die on a wooden cross, he became a curse as he bare in his own body the sins 
of all his redeemed. You need to stop and think about these things as I do. I, I pause because I'm thinking, as I'm saying this, reminding myself who Jesus is. The incarnate Son of God. The King of glory, according to Psalm 24. And yet he was made a curse on that cross. As he bare in his body your sins, if you believe in him. As Paul said, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ have redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Also, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because they are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. The righteousness of Jehovah Sikenu, which is by faith in him and not by works of the law. If you have taken on board all that's been said so far about Christians being in Christ and they are no longer under condemnation, I trust that you can see that they are altogether different from anyone else. If you're a Christian, you are different from those who are not in Christ. A new creature in Christ, no less. You're different from your friends who don't believe in Jesus. You're even different from family who don't believe in Jesus, who reject him. You're different in that you live unto Jesus Christ, your Lord, who sacrificially died for you and rose again. And the life you now live, you live by faith of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. As, yeah, as Paul said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This is you, if you are in Jesus. A new creature or new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And as he said here in, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, they walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Christians do walk after the spirit. Note that Paul is not saying that there is now no condemnation because you walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's not because of anything that you are in Christ, not because of anything that you have done. God didn't look down from heaven and say, whoa, look at Glenn there. He's not walking after the flesh. He's walking after the spirit. I think I'll save him. Not at all. Not at all. Rather, walking not after the flesh but after the spirit is proof that you are someone who does not simply make an empty profession of faith in Christ. Rather, you show yourself to be in Christ with no condemnation by your walk with him. 
A walk in the paths of righteousness as you hear his sayings. And you don't just hear Jesus, you do, as he says, with the Spirit enabling you. Dear Christian, as you pray for a closer walk with Jesus, pray also for your that for faith that lays hold of verse 1. Even when your heart within you and Satan without you tell you that you are damned. Remember that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How often can you doubt your own salvation? And maybe you've got the devil perched on your shoulder, whispering in your ear how useless you are. I like what Spurgeon wrote. He said that there was a martyr once summoned before Edmund Bonner, the Bishop of London, who led a bloody campaign against Protestants. Apparently, after the martyr had expressed his faith in Christ, Bonner said, You are a heretic and will be condemned. No, said he, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Oh, for the faith to lay hold on this. Oh, for an overpowering faith that, that, that shall get the victory over doubts and fears and make us enjoy the liberty with which Christ makes men free. You that believe in Christ, go to your beds this night and say, if I die in my bed, I cannot be condemned. Should you wake up in the morning, go into the world and say, I am not condemned. When the devil howls at you, tell him, you may accuse, but I am not condemned. And if sometimes your sins rise, say, I know you, but you are all gone forever. I am not condemned. Well, have a look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. You'll see that the first word there in verse 2 is for. And if you just have a quick glance at the chapter, you'll see that there's no need to count it, but you'll see that four appears at the beginning of a lot of verses in that chapter. What you can straight away take from that is that you have to keep moving up. You reach a new verse, you read four, that means, oh, well, I need to look up and what have I just read there? You keep on doing that, looking at previous verses and that will bring you back to verse 1, to that grand statement, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In the previous chapter, Paul confessed his ongoing battle with sin. This is Paul who's telling us about walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. You just cast your eyes up to chapter 7 there. In, in verse 25 of chapter 7, Paul said, With the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. I assume that is something that we can all relate to as Christians. We all do that. 
Paul said, in me dwelleth no good thing that is in the flesh. No good thing. Think about it though. Who else would say that? Who else would make such a statement other than a Christian? Would you expect anyone else who's not a Christian, not trusting in Jesus, not in Christ, to make such a confession? To acknowledge that in me dwelleth no good thing. Or that I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That is a Christian thing. We can all relate, as Christians, to varying degrees, the battle within, with the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit lusting against the flesh, as we seek to do the will of God. Again, that's not something that the ungodly know about. They don't have that struggle. How can an ungodly person have a struggle where the, the, the flesh is lusting against the spirit and the spirit, the flesh? They don't have the spirit in the first place. Coming back to chapter 8 and verse 2, Paul speaks of being free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death cannot be the same as the law of sin in chapter 7, verse 25. Let's look at verse 25 again. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So the law of sin still plays a part in his life and in your life, dear Christian, and in my life, that law of sin where a law compels you in some way. And there are those times when you, you, you're enticed by sin and yeah, and you, and you, you, you do sin. Even as a Christian. So the law of sin and death cannot be the same as the law of sin in chapter seven because he says there in chapter eight, Verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is therefore not part of his life. He's free from it. So what is it? What is the law of sin and death? It's the law. It's the moral law. The law. He is free from God's moral law, from its consequences, from its curses, its condemnation for guilty sinners. Something has made the Christian free from the law's condemnation and that something is the gospel of Christ, which is referred to in verse 2 there as the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yet another law. There are two laws being spoken of in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which has made him free from the law of sin and death. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the gospel of Christ. And that's a reminder to us that the gospel is law. I don't know if you ever think about it that way, that the gospel is law. And if that's the case, the gospel of Christ is to be obeyed. 
It's not optional. The gospel is to be obeyed. For example, in Mark, Mark chapter 1 verse 15, when Jesus started his public ministry, he said, repent ye and believe the gospel. That was not a pretty please. Jesus was not making a polite request that we repent and believe the gospel. It's a command from the incarnate Son of God. Repent and believe the gospel. In chapter 10 and verse 16 of this letter to the Romans, Paul says, Not all have obeyed the gospel. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 through to 8 and 9, Paul talks about everlasting punishment in flaming fire for those who obey not the gospel. The gospel is to be obeyed. Why is that? Because it is the law of spirit, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, as we see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Also, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus not only speaks of the Son of God, but God the Holy Spirit, who raises up spiritually dead sinners to newness of life in Christ, and he applies the finished work of Jesus to them in their hearts. Putting it very simply, if you are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, having shown repentance towards God, That is because the Holy Spirit has visited you and he now indwells you. So I quite like that actually, the gospel of Christ, where you see it there in verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it's a reminder that the gospel is law, it's a reminder that the Holy Spirit applies the finished work of Jesus to the hearts and lives of those who believe in him. Moving on to verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. There are various things that the law of sin and death, God's law, most certainly can do, such as justify. The law can justify the sinless. The law can accuse people who are guilty of sin. The law exposes sin. The law curses sinners. The law condemns sinners. So you can see the law of God can do a lot of things. Yet for all that, what the law cannot do, the law of sin and death, it cannot forgive sinners. And it cannot give sinners everlasting life. The law was never designed to save and justify sinners. And as has already been seen, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the law of sin and death will never justify any of us in here. All it can do is condemn us as guilty sinners. No one in the world will be justified by the law. However, the good news is that God sent his own son. 
as we see in verse 3. The Son of God came in the flesh, as it is written in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And as Paul says in verse 3 there, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not only did Jesus come in the flesh, he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he took on himself not only a human body, but also the entire human nature, weakened by sin, but without sin. And Jesus condemns sin in the flesh by fulfilling the law's demands in life and in death. He was perfectly obedient to the law's demands throughout his life. And in death he paid the price for sin when he was wounded and bruised for the transgressions of those he came to save. Well look at verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. As we're going to see there's a couple of things going on here. The couple of things being the righteousness of God being imputed to you when you first become a Christian and also sanctification. Since you are said to be in Christ, if you are trusting in Jesus, his righteousness is credited to your account and you are covered with that righteousness from the moment you first believe. As it is written in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. However, there's more to verse 4 than the righteousness of Christ being imputed to you as a Christian and you being clothed with his righteousness. Paul also speaks once again of walking not after the flesh but after the spirit. This is your daily walk with Jesus. Walking after the spirit as opposed to walking after the flesh. As such, Paul is also speaking of righteous living, not in the oldness of the letter of the law, but in the newness of the Spirit. And that comes with much prayer and with the Holy Spirit working in Christians to do God's will. Walking after the Spirit and not after the sinful flesh is an ongoing work of sanctification. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, that work of sanctification, it will never, you won't reach a point in your Christian walk where the, where the Holy Spirit uh, leaves you, you, you know, you're fully sanctified and you're, you're, you've reached sinless perfection. That will not happen. It's an ongoing work of the Spirit. As Christians prayerfully read the Scriptures and with God's enabling, they bring forth the fruit of salvation as day by day they are being transformed by the renewing of their minds. And that that should apply to you and you should be able to understand what I'm saying there, dear Christian. You think differently to other people. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, or at least I hope you are. 
You don't think the same way as the people of this world. You've got different values. You, you desire different things. Your treasures are in heaven and not in this world. Again, you're a new creature in Christ. And that will come across in the way that you look at situations in this world. Very different to those who walk after the flesh. What can be seen in verse 4 are justification and sanctification and they are inseparable. The moment you're saved from your sins, you are declared righteous, you are justified. From then on, there is that continual work of sanctification going on within you by the Holy Spirit as you walk after the Spirit. Finally, the person who is in Christ Jesus, having trusted in his life of perfect obedience and in his sacrificial death, is no longer under condemnation of the law of sin and death. Is that you? Can you say that that is you? Putting it another way, do you walk after the Spirit? As to what that means, I'll leave you with Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 through to 25, where Paul said, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they are still under condemnation and they are not in Christ Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen.